um, Catherine O'Hara met her future husband on, uh, on the set of Beetlejuice. He was the production designer, Bo Welch. And um, according to him, Tim Burton said that he should ask her out near the end of filming. And uh, Welch said, it didn't even occur to me that I was even supposed to talk to actors. But since Tim told me uh, I could, then uh, we, we dated and we here we are. We're married and, you know, happy today. So that's fucking insane. <laughs> Um, when Glenn Shaddix, who played Otho, died in, uh, which, you know, let's, one thing I want to throw back out at him, he, his flamboyant character in this movie really stands out. And that's why I wanted to give him credit because I mean, as like the, uh, you know, I mean, Gable without being, you know, labeled as such, I mean, you know, that's what it's assumed anyways. Like, I mean, he, he's, you know, that was kind of a, you know, big thing for that time, you know, I mean, yeah. And he, I mean, and, and the character he played was interesting too. But um, when he died in September of 2010, the last song performed at the memorial service was Deo. Oh my God. Um, when Adam and Barbara are in the office, a voice on the PA system announces Flight 409 is arriving at Gate 3. United Airlines Flight 409 crashed into a mountain in Wyoming on October 6, 1955, killing all of its passengers and the crew on board. At the time, it was considered the worst plane crash in history, and um, it, it resulted in a total of 66 casualties, and to this day, no one knows why it crashed. So there is a lot of this in the background of this movie where, oh, like, Tim Burton threw these horrific mass deaths in this, mo- in this like, kid's movie, basically. Oh, my God, which brings me to one of the funnier <laughs> scenes where the football players don't know what the fuck is going on. Hey, coach. Yeah. They keep calling what's her name, Coach. Um, we'll get to that because it's not like in chronological order this way. Yeah, but the co- they they're based on a real story too. Oh like shit, their whole thing. Oh god. Um, <clears throat> the visual effects budget was just one million dollars, a major factor in Tim Burton deciding to make the effects look as tacky and as much of a B film as possible. He was like, "Fuck it, if they're not giving me money, yeah. I'm just gonna make this <laughs> look the way it does." Hey, gotta do what you gotta um, do. Uh, the original plan for the dinner party was to have the guests dance to a song by the Ink Spots. That's what it was. That was oh, the song. That would have been cool. Which Ink Spots song, though? Do we know? That's the thing. It doesn't say. Oh, so, I mean, son of a bitch. I don't think that would have worked out as good. I don't yeah, think it would have worked out nearly as well. Yeah, because they were way more slow paced in terms of their music. They didn't have anything up tempo. Can can you imagine how creepy it would have been creepy though? It'd have played the other way. I mean, it yeah. was like yeah. you know, if they started singing like I don't want to set the world on fire and it's like real slow and like almost like the Jeepers Creepers song like, oh, in yeah. that movie. Like, you know, it play like that. Um at the dinner party, Otho states that people who commit suicide end up as civil servants in the afterlife. Uh this is expanded upon in the film. Um Let's see. The civil servant ghosts that Adam and Barbara meet are people who appear to have ended their own lives. The receptionist says she committed suicide. There is a man who hanged himself. A crush. The crushed messenger is implied <laughs> to have done it himself. So the guy who's like actually, you know, makes the bad pun about how you know how am I looking? I'm feeling a little flat. Yeah. It's he threw himself in front of whatever ran over him. Yeah. Um, and uh, Juno looks normal, but there are scars on her neck that indicates that she cut her own throat. Oh, yeah. And then there's the part about, you know, Beetlejuice, uh, you know, hung himself or whatever. So um, the movie's box office success created plans for a sequel. Beetlejuice goes to Hawaii Ugh, or goes Hawaiian. Like fucking terrible. What the fuck? <laughs> that was yeah, le- that was we- legit. Yeah, 
Yeah, they were going to go with a sequel where it was set in Hawaii, and it was like the only the holdovers I think was it was going to be uh, Michael Keaton and Lydia, you know, which is funny because you know Beetlejuice and you know Lydia or whatever or the the two that end up in the the cartoon, so it's kind of like they did branch off that way, but that would have been um, horrible. Oh my god. Oh yeah. Um. Tim Burton lost interest in the project and went on to direct Batman and Batman Returns. As late as 2015, Warner Brothers was still trying. But uh, update to that, and I was going to bring this up, Brad Pitt's production company is actually in talks with both Michael Keaton and Wino Ryder, and it looks like Beetlejuice 2 is finally going to happen. Oh, my God. I just that's, hope that's they can serve brand it. Brand spanking new news. Yeah, and you heard it here first on Death Holler. Um. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Shut up, Reverend. Jesus. Um, yeah. I don't. Are they don't getting Tim Burton involved? Play. I think. I think you can go a lot of ways like that. You can go with the Lydia girl being older and having a family or whatever, and rolling into a scenario like that. It's going to be called Stranger Things. <laughs> Will Will come in here, Will? Yeah. <laughs> And he's trapped on the other side yeah. with Beetlejuice or Beetlejuice. something. Beetlejuice. She gets she uh, calls Beetlejuice to help her get her lost son. I mean, do they do they? Here's the thing. Here's my question: Do they need to go dark with it and make it like a darker movie? I mean, or do they need to keep it lighthearted like the original? I mean, I think they could do both. Honestly, they just got to have Michael Keaton's because I know he's still interested. That's clear. Um, so. I think he's still got to have people that's done mock-ups of what the, the cover could look. I mean, like the two characters could look uh, yeah. like, and he, and he looks, he looks scary as fuck. I mean, the way they've done him up in they, that. They I made mean, him nice and sinister looking. I think that if they get, yeah. if he gets the humor, but maybe a darker humor, even though he has the same personality, he can really go dark with the humor. It's true. I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll have to see. I mean, and it still could fall apart. I mean, yeah. But they're, I they're mean, legit. Like, I mean, it's 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 closer than it ever has been now. Clearly, Tim Burton is only interested in one thing, and that fucking Hawaii Beetlejuice in Hawaii. Yeah, that that. <laughs> I don't know who pitched that. That's like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's that's Warner Brothers. I mean, that has to be a studio bullshit thing. Holy shit. Talk about out of touch. Um, so here, here's your trivia for what who they originally wanted for uh, Beetlejuice. Uh-huh. Now think about this. Tim Burton wanted Sammy Davis Jr., his favorite star of his, uh, since childhood, to play the role of Beetlejuice. And studio execs said they didn't like that idea at all. Yeah, no way. <laughs> um, and this Beetlejuice was actually supposed to be a scary demon. So, I mean, with wings and everything. Well, Sammy Davis, um, I don't think he's going to nail, like, the, the intensity of the character. Or the comedic end. Well, the thing is, they, it was a completely different route. Sammy Davis was going to play, like, a demonic character with bat wings, basically. And he was going to, um, I believe they said he was going to have, like, more of, like, a like a weird, like, African slash uh, American, like, accent or something. Oh, it, what it the Completely fuck? different. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. Good decisions were made. Sometimes um, I feel like Hollywood has a know, giant disconnect when, like, like I don't think that they have enough conflicting, like, positions when they're when they're spitballing ideas. I just think it's, I mean, it's, 
it's one of those things where like this movie, it, it came together with the right person. Cause when I mentioned the other people that were, the, they were looked at uh, for Beetlejuice. I mean, we'll, we'll kind of like in our heads, like, you know, see how this would have went away. I mean, we can discuss it, but like, I mean, it's, it, it's perfect that it fell to who it did because I mean, the character works best with Michael Keaton's like, you know, mannerisms, I think, you know, it just, I, I mean, it could have been interpreted different and we could have liked it. But I mean, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, uh, Beetlejuice, that scene where he reveals his face to the Maitlands and the the model, where it's like the snakes come out, but it's filmed from behind. That actually was a uh, going to be in the movie. Like they were going to full on show the snakes popping out of his face. They even had it like done up, but they ultimately <laughs> decided against it. I mean, uh, I like the way that they showed it. It was pretty cool. What was the reason behind it's, it? Probably uh, budget. Just. Yeah, I mean, it, they went through the trouble of like creating a, like an elaborate makeup effect. But my thought is that Tim Burton probably felt like, and this is, to, in my opinion, the right choice, is that I mean, your mind creates like far worse image oh, of what yeah. he looks like than what they could have created. I mean, maybe, yeah. Um, during the sequence <laughs> where Adam and Barbara enter Juno's office and see her speaking to the recently deceased football team, and this is something I had to pause to actually see for myself, but it's in there. A movie theater full of ghosts can be seen through Juno's office window so that when the film was released, you were watching the film while the ghost uh, audience was watching it from the other side. Okay. And it, Damn. it's legit in there. Like, I if you never noticed Juno's that. Window, yeah. There is a red skeleton or a green skeleton uh, identical to the ones in his later movie, Mars Attacks. There's a woman with red hair. There's two men in suits and Ray-Ban sunglasses, uh, which were supposed to be like his homage to the Blues Brothers. Oh, my God. I never noticed. Um, According to Dick Cavett, uh, who was in the scene, you know, uh, he was the one that was talking about how Maxie Dean wouldn't appreciate. I think he was the one that represented. He was uh, Delia's... uh, uh, like uh, agent or whatever yeah. you know, during the shrimp scene. He said that when they tried to film the scene where the shrimp jump off the plates and attack the dinner party, uh, Tim Burton was trying to film it that way to where it leaped at them. But then Dick Cabot was like, how about we do it to where it like, it looks like, I mean, uh, where it leaps off of our face to the table and you film it and you play it in reverse. And that's how they did it in the movie. So it's like, I mean, you know, it, it played better that way. Cause they couldn't get the, the hands to work out cr- quite the right way trying to oh, do it. Oh, Okay. You know? That's not that's not bad advice. I didn't realize it was in reverse. Well, it's not. Yeah. It's just well, I mean, that's how they filmed it, and then they play it in they, reverse. Yeah. And yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, um, according to Tim Burton, it took a, a lot of time to convince the cast members to sign on, uh, as they thought the script was too weird. Gina Davis was the only one who would commit to the project. Wow. Uh, at first, I would expect her to be the one to be like, "No, fuck this." Yeah. Uh, producer David Geffen convinced Michael Keaton's manager to, uh, to get Michael Keaton to meet with Burton. And then once Keaton said, yes, uh, Burton personally called Sydney and, uh, and, uh, who was, did the voice or who was Juno and, uh, begged her to do the movie. And he flew out to meet with O'Hara himself to convince her. So he had to physically go to these people and beg them to be in the movie. And the only accolades he had really prior to this was obviously Frank and Weenie, um, prior to the Disney version of it. Um, and, and Pee-wee, Pee-wee. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I could see why he had to go to them. <laughs> yeah. I um, would be like, with a fuck? 
the other PG uh, movies uh, during a PG-13 era that were allowed to say fuck and still be PG were Spaceballs, yeah. the, mo- uh, the movie Big with Tom Hanks, and Caddyshack 2. Caddyshack 2 was, was a PG? PG? Yeah, according to wow. this. <laughs> um, kids back in the 80s, man, we, we, we had it made like we could watch movies. <laughs> That's <laughs> that true. Clearly not meant for us. Uh, Beetlejuice, the title character, doesn't appear until 25 minutes into the film, and he's in less than 20% of the movie entirely. Holy shit. Uh, and, Michael Keaton, and Michael Keaton only spent two weeks filming this. Wow, must Whoa. be nice. <laughs> hey, not like and, Oculus where they film that in how many hours? Yeah, well, like 23 if, days or something. Oh, I yeah. Think total was the, was the whole movie. Oh, my God. Um, the funny thing is I think somebody, like, figured out like how long he's in the movie. It's only like 14 and a half minutes or something. Holy shit. And he's, and that shows you how iconic he is in the role, because what do you remember about the movie? It's him. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and he's in it the least. Um, he based his performance of Beetlejuice. This is very interesting on chop top from the Texas chainsaw massacre two that came out in 86. Oh, the wild fucking brother. Yeah, the, like, the one that they had, like, the metal plate or whatever. Yeah, go, his, uh, like, uh, that he kept scraping with a wire hanger. Yeah, Ugh. he was going bald. He had, like, long, stringy hair. Yeah, and uh, he would later go on the co-star with uh, Bill Mosley, who played Chop Top in the 2002 HBO movie Live from Baghdad. It's funny you say that because I can totally see his character now come through on that. <laughs> Um, in the first waiting room scene, several of the methods of death are shown. There's a camper who was bitten by a rattlesnake, a, a diner who choked on what looks like a chicken bone, which is sticking out both sides of the neck, uh, a surfer who was attacked by a shark, a girl uh, who was That's not committing assistant. suicide, though. No, they, they but, were just people in the waiting room. Okay, okay. And, uh, of course, the shrunken head man and a smoker who, you know, was a burn victim, presumably. I, I, I always, when I saw that guy in my head cannon, he uh, he died He died because he went to bed smoking and, like, he burned up. That's oh what I God. assumed. Um, the casting of Lydia, now, the, he, he, think about this. The casting of Lydia came down to just two actresses, Winona Ryder, which we know, and fucking Alyssa Milano. Ooh. That could have now gone. imagine a real imagine a parallel universe where Alyssa Milano was uh, Lydia Dietz. I'll pass. Yeah, <laughs> that could have. And this, <laughs> it could have taken this movie a whole different direction. Now there's one other person who was in the running for Lydia Dietz, but she was sick and could not film the movie. And she, but she later on went on to become uh, a goth icon of her own. Do you know who that was? Rose McGowan. Angelica Houston. Oh, oh shit. Wow. Morticia. She might have pulled that off. I think Wouldn't she, she have been she too would've... old? No. You gotta remember when this was filmed. I know I know it was filmed in nineteen in the in the eighties. Well, how how old is Angelica Houston now though? Hold on, I'm looking it up right now. Angelica, I wanna say she's in her seventies. She's seventy years old. Yeah, she would have been like And Winona way... Ryder is in her forties, fifties? Yeah. Hold on, Winona Ryder. So it's 20 years different. So That's she would have been huge. a 20-year-old playing that, the part. It yeah, wouldn't have worked at all. I don't think it would have been the same. But she does have the goth aesthetic that she could have. 100%. You know, so not the angsty extent. teen kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. she doesn't. She, yeah, she, yeah. Winona Ryder, she has not aged 
you know, no. as much. She, she has that younger look. So even when she filmed Beetlejuice, let's see, she's 50, so she's 10 years older. So she was, what, in her 20s, I imagine, at that time. Yeah. You know, she's playing a teenager. She sold it. Angelica Houston played a very good, sexy Morticia Adams, but I can't see her playing an angsty teenager. No, but I mean, that. but we, that's what I'm saying. Like this movie came together perfectly because we got the Lydia Dietz that we should have got. I mean, you think about some of these, especially Alyssa Milano. I mean, like for God's sakes, that would have been, <laughs> I, I don't even want to think about that movie. That would have been just fucking ridiculous. Oh my God. Um, Angelica Houston as Morticia Adams. I even have a hard time putting that together. It just, she did so good, but it's not what I, I would have expected, you know? There, there's somebody else I think that we'll get to in like these, because they're, like I said, these outer sync that like didn't want to play it because they were, they didn't like the gothics, uh, way the character was, but the goth look or whatever. And we'll get to that because that would have been a weird one too. Um, Delia has a knack for repurposing, uh, or well, I think this is uh, technically, well, no, it says Delia. It says Delia has a knack for repurposing clothing to wear in different styles. In one scene, she wears a sweater that Charles wore in a previous scene, except she wears them as pants. Oh, yeah. And she wears the sweater upside down with her legs in the armholes, and uh, and they're held up with suspenders. And then also there's a scene at the dinner party where she's got a headband on, but it's actually a pair of intertwined women's gloves. Yes. Which I remember that part. I remember that. That was so fashion icon for that time era. <laughs> um, this is interesting. The skeleton head that's on Beetlejuice's merry-go-round uh, that when he first comes up out of the model when he's summoned by Lydia and he's got like you know the big arms that he you know throws out there that become like the you know like the carnival game type things. Oh, I he, love that scene. Uh, the the little skull that's at the top of the little circus tent on his head looks exactly like Jack Skeleton. I didn't even fucking notice. <laughs> what the hell, dude? <laughs> um, Adam and uh, Barbara look in the mirror and can't see the reflections, and how they achieved that was that uh, they had Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin, who shot a guy <laughs> or a lady, <laughs> uh, <laughs> looking into the set with the glass removed. So basically they, they, they made the set like they filmed it like it was like in reverse, and they just had them looking through the mirror and that's how they kept from, like, appearing in it themselves. It's a cheap effect, but it worked. Yeah, it, it fucking worked. I thought they did a good job. Um, according to the producer, Larry Wilson, the original ending was significantly darker, ending with Winona Ryder's Lydia dying in a fire and joining her friends in the afterlife. They changed it after considering the message it would send to young people that death would be a happy ending. Yeah, because she was all about suicide, and that could have gone. I mean, it would be a movie that you wouldn't even really be able to watch. And I'm sorry, how many friends did Lydia have that were dead? Uh, I mean, she had the Maitlands, but somebody made an argument on a YouTube video that I watched right before we got on here that had a good point. She had no living friends at all. Like, and her That's parents true. like a, didn't have anything to do with her. Lydia and Friends, a new show based off of Beetlejuice. <laughs> Um, this is funny because it's, like I said, my favorite scene. Beetlejuice's TV commercial was a spoof of Cal Worthington, yes! a car dealer known for a series of offbeat late night oh, yeah. TV And his dog spot. <laughs> on the West Coast, who featured my dog spot, 
which was never a dog, but usually an exotic animal instead. At the time yeah. of the film's release, Worthington had made $316.8 million, making him the single largest car owner, uh, deal or a dealership chain in the United States, apparently single owner of a car dealership chain. Those yep. commercials were fucking horrible, by the way. Have you ever seen one? Oh, yeah. Come see cow. Come see cow. <laughs> go see cow. If you want to buy a car, go see cow. <laughs> So just imagine that that's Cal in the movie when Beetlejuice is uh, talking about eating dogs or whatever. Oh, my God, dude. (laughs) And Cal Worthington was like, he he reminded me of a guy that's from Texas. He always had like some fucking huge 10-gallon Stetson. I think he was from Texas. Oh, my God. And he was out here, and it did not flow with California, but he has. Uh, I think he did good out here. No, he did wonderful out here. His his fucking commercials were catchy, and (laughs) I was just always like, the fuck? Um, when, and this is a cheap effect that they did a pretty good job with when Barbara holds up Adam's severed head, Alec Baldwin was just kneeling behind, uh, a black show card that was uh, cut around his chin. That's literally all they did to make it look like his head was severed. It's all about how you film it. You yeah. Know? Wow. Oh my God. Okay. Um, I'm looking up the Beetlejuice merry-go-round head. Oh my God. It does look like Jack Skellington. It looks like a skinnier version a of him. It looks like he, when he was younger and his jaw was more defined. For sure. <laughs> uh, the Maitland's bumper sticker, this is hilarious, says, I break for animals. What the that's, fuck? That's, that, that's, that's really bad. That is terrible. Um, the line that Otho recites whenever he's doing the uh, exorcism is actually a real poem. It's from a poem called The Warning by Thomas uh, Lovell uh, Beatos. Um, so that's kind of interesting. That's actually a real thing when he's talking about cotillions and all that stuff, which is really creepy in the movie. Actually, that's a well done scene by the, by the actor who plays Otho. I mean, like the way he recites it, it just, it, it, uh, it gives a lot to that scene. Yeah. Um, although the character's true name is Beetlejuice, it was spelled that way because it's funnier and it markets better, which we've kind of discussed. But like I said, that, I mean, it, you know, it stands out in a VHS store. So that, that helped the movie a it lot. It did. Yeah. The, the, the title and definitely the, the artwork on the cover, it, it was just weird to me. It looked weird and, and weird sometimes sells, especially when you're looking for a movie, especially when you're bored and looking for a movie. <laughs> exactly. Um, a toy line that was released in conjunction with the film uh, and featured uh, action figures of most of Beetlejuice's incarnations as well as Otho, Adam, whose figure uh, uh, featured him wearing a red baseball cap, and the sunken, uh, shrunken head man from the waiting room whose figure was named Harry the Head Haunted Hunter and came with a detachable head showing what he looked like before death, which I remember that toy, actually. I'm going to be honest with you. Yes, I remember that toy, but I... (laughs) I feel like adults with money were the people who bought those toys. I don't uh, know. Are you Most serious? Most likely, yeah. Yeah. I, I used to have a ton of Ninja Turtle toys and stuff like Nin- that. Ninja Turtle toys, completely different. Kids actually watch that. Unless your parents were having you watch the stuff like that or you were kids without parental guidance like yours or like you, I should say. Sweet. You know, you, you weren't buying that weird stuff. But, like, like our kids, we introduce them to that shit, shit, so we'll buy them that kind of stuff, you know? They, they actually want those kind of toys. But other than that, it's not mainstream, so it's not easy. One, it probably wasn't easily accessible. It'd be like those uh, NECA toys. Hot Topic is a thing now. Yeah, Hot Topic. They saw and, that, you know. Well, Walmart shockingly has a huge NECA section. I don't know if you've seen that before. 
Uh, I mean, I you know, I know of the toys, but I didn't realize that Walmart was carrying those. Yes, now. in the movie, in the DVD section that nobody goes to because who buys DVDs now? They have a hidden NECA section, and you can get quite the collectibles there. That's where I got um, Benny's Jason Voorhees with detachable, you know, changeable heads and everything, and different weapons and stuff cool. like that. So yeah, they they it's pretty it's pretty prominent. But yeah, I, back in the day, I can't see these toys. Being super popular, and I wouldn't have been interested back in the day. Everything was weird about this movie to me. <laughs> uh, this was the tenth biggest uh, grossing film of 1988. Ooh, and I have those numbers. I think now is a good way to segue into that. What do you think? Yeah, go ahead and mention those. All right, so the reception: Beetlejuice opened theatrically in the U.S. March 30th, 1988, earning 8. 3 million in its opening weekend. The film eventually grossed 73.7 million in North America, uh, a financial excess by any means, recouping its $15 million budget. Whoa. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, he killed it. It had a really good response. You asked yeah. what the ratings were. Uh, mostly positive. I mean, in general, it runs about a 70 to 85% rating across the board for most, you know, critics. Um, when it first came out, it uh, was surveyed by Cinema Score, um, and it was given a B score on a grade scale of A to F. What did uh, Cisco and Ebert say about it? I don't know that that's <laughs> in here, but They're, they suck at rating movies. Hold on, let's see if I can they find. Do. Oh, hold on. Uh, tries. Okay. Roger Ebert gave the film two out of four stars, writing that he would have been more interested if the screenplay had preserved the Alec and Baldwin and Gina Davis sweet romanticism. Ugh. Oh, my God. Uh, Talk about out of touch. Yes. Every movie, that guy was like that. I mean. <laughs> yeah. And then the, check this out. For Keaton's character, Ebert called him unrecognizable behind pounds of makeup and stated his scenes don't seem much to fit with the other action. What? What are you talking about? He is the action. We're, it's a movie it's about the afterlife. He's an actor. We he's not. It's not called Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice. It's Beetlejuice. So, Roger Ebert wanted a lovelorn ghost love story romance uh, movie, oh and he got God. this movie, and he was pissed off about it. Now, I mean, I know we bring up, you know, Mike from, you know, the Rain Man podcast a lot, but my, Mike's big thing that I gave him credit for, he's always like, you've got to rate the movie on what's there, not what you wanted to see. Yeah. And it's amazing to me that Roger Ebert is like, it was considered for all those years as like one of the biggest critics. And like he did this shit to movies where it's like, no, I think it should have been a romance movie. It's like, well, well, that's not what you're being asked to look at. Yeah, like, Roger and Ebert built a brand for themselves, though. But the brand was horseshit. It, well, yes, we feel <laughs> that way. But they were the, if, unfortunately, they were like the pioneers of that. So, thankfully, we don't have to be like Robert and Ebert. <laughs> Roger and Ebert, excuse me. Uh, irrelevant. Siskel and Ebert, you mean. Oh, well, whatever. Siskel and Ebert, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Robert and Ebert. Tomato, potato. Who cares? I, I, Aren't I, they I, dead? Yeah. I know they bashed the thing. They they. <laughs> Rip that thing down. You think too. they're in the afterlife right now, like raiding shit that's going on down there? <laughs> you know what? I, I, I'm i curious how they would raid a lot of this horseshit movies now, like the woke stuff. Oh, yeah. I, be, I bet you they'd give an amazing ratings. I would not be they surprised. Would. Yeah. They would. They absolutely would. Did you ever watch that? Um, it was it was on the nineties, I believe. Uh, it was called The Critic, and it was uh, John yes. Lovitz was an animated character. Horrible. Oh yeah, 
I loved that show, yeah, actually. He was a horrible critic. Oh, my God. I used to love that. It reminded me of Siskel and Ebert because he did their same shit. I mean, everything. It stinks. It (laughs) stinks. Oh, my God. That was like the opening line, too, in the opening whatever. Um, I used to watch that and uh, The Tick. I I feel like those were on the same. Oh, yeah. They were on at the same time. Were they on Fox? Both of those. Both of them? Yeah, I think so. Oh, my God. I used to love The Critic. Now look at me. (laughs) I don't, by the way, I fully recognize that I do not deserve to be here criticizing films, but here I am. So well, was the cri- was the you, critic on Fox or Comedy Central? Oh well, it, I'm gonna it Google was on it. Right Comedy now. Central later, but it was short lived on Fox. It was one of those things okay. where Fox did like they always do. They had it for a season or two. They shit canned it, put it on. Uh, I think Comedy Central maybe picked it up and gave it a few more seasons or something after the fact. Yeah, it, it, that doesn't really seem like a show for Fox, actually. The Critic actually has really high scores across the board. 85% on Google, uh, IMDb, uh, 8 out of 10, 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Over, across the board, it's just got... Yeah, it was a good show. Yeah, it, no, it really, really was. And then as well, and for, it goes back to what we talked about with Scary Movie 2. I mean, it, it was a great spoof of, like, movies. I mean, that's what it did. Like, it showed these fake movie trailers for, like, things like the newest Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that was, like, something ridiculous, you know. And turned out it was, like, not far from, like, the stuff that he was doing in real life, like, you know, Kindergarten Cop or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Critic actually started on ABC and finished its run on Fox okay. in 1995. Oh, on Fox. Yeah, okay. and then okay, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it got picked up. Um, syndication. For, yeah, for Comedy Central. For sure. Yeah. So. Um, let's see. The the actually the animated series does have some links to the movie. Um, there are subtle references, uh, such as when Beetlejuice slapped a metal plate over Claire Brewster's mouth in one episode. Oh like yeah, to Barbara in the film. Yes, that Beetlejuice. I, I thought that happened multiple times in the cartoon, but. I could be wrong. Okay, go on. A set of screen-used foam latex prosthetic pieces, the faces that Adam Barbara pull uh, in the movie, were found in an English couple's home during filming for a UK show called Cash in the Attic, um, where people put personal items up for auction to raise cash, but the pieces were in such poor condition they didn't sell. Okay. That's crazy. A set of (laughs) screen-used foam latex prosthetic pieces... So is that what they made it out of, or those were already made? I think that the the way it hints is that they like this is one of the like masks that they wore in the movie or they used in the movie. Yeah. Maybe if they didn't, you know, and and they kept them in such shitty condition that they didn't sell. That just uh, that I, as the move as the collector in me that just breaks my heart. Like, yes. I can't stand that idea. Oh, I mean, okay, okay, I see what you're this. saying. Okay, oh man. That should be, it should be like in a fucking Tim Burton museum somewhere. Salem, Massachusetts. Exactly. A.V., you better be saving your money, okay? We only got two years till we go. Um... Now, this is interesting. Uh, after the surprise box office success of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Tim Burton found he was the hot director being sent all the top scripts. However, he disliked all of them Good and was you. on the point of starting to write his version of Batman when he was sent Michael McDowell's original screenplay, and he loved the premise and promptly signed on. Oh, good for him. He made good choices. Uh, we discussed the scene where Beetlejuice eats or, you know, eating the flies, or, you know, call back to Gina Davis being in the fly remake. Um, was it really, or was it just something that it was like a coincidence? 
I think that was deliberate because okay. she did that in 1986 mm. and this was in 88. So okay. This is interesting just because of the sandworms. This film won a Saturn Award in 1990. <laughs> what the hell is a Saturn Award? I it, I don't know what that is, but I just find it hilarious that the you know the whole Saturn and Sandworms oh, yeah. Yeah. won an award. Yeah, the, the Sandworms were in Saturn. Okay, hold on, I'm pulling up yeah. Saturn Awards. Saturn Awards are American awards presented annually by the Academy of Science Fiction. Okay, fantasy wow. and horror films. They were created to honor science fiction, fantasy, and horror in film, but have since grown to reward the other films belonging to genre fiction as well as television and home media releases. So I don't know, but anyways, uh, not bad. Um, Beetlejuice has have does have a Broadway play. So oh yes, I saw that musical. No, thank um, you. Now this is interesting. This and this another tie between this movie and Scrooge, which I find very fascinating. Uh, producer John Peters thought of casting controversial comedian Sam Kinison as Beetlejuice. But Kennison's agent never told him about it. Oh! Can you imagine Sam fucking Kennison as Beetlejuice in this movie? No, I mean, it might have. It might have. He. It would have just been a little more rambunctious and wild. But yeah, the, he would have had the energy for it. The only reason he would have, like, a Michael Keaton sold Beetlejuice. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that if we had seen it with another character, it wouldn't have sold. I could think of people who would try to be Beetlejuice that I'm like, fuck no, that would never work. Sam Kennison's probably the, the closest I yes. can imagine of being in the part. And it would have been wild. Remember, I just don't know how dark it would have been as more comedic. It, it would have been. been dark. Sam Kennison's a very dark well, comedian. Sam Kennison was really dark. <laughs> hmm. He would have went there. I don't know how, how good he would have did with the ad-libbing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, because... He, yeah, there wasn't much of a script because Could you imagine that, Michael Keaton made the script. Could you imagine that that phrase "nice fucking model" not being in the movie? Yeah, and it, and it's the like you said, it's a thing as a kid that you go around repeating because you're not supposed to say it. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious, and then he grabs his crotch and honks it. <laughs> and and the link between this and and Scrooge is like you know, remember we said during Scrooge that the cab, you know, the ghost driver or the the ghost of Christmas Past who was the cab driver, uh, Buster Poindexter, yeah. was originally supposed to be Sam Kinison and that. It's kind of weird that you know, both of these movies, like you know, yeah. he almost got a role in them but just yeah. missed it. Yeah, I mean, and and it could have worked. Either one of them could have worked, honestly. I think. So, but yeah. the fact that we had Michael Keaton, it did work. Michael Keaton pretty much wrote his script, and we still have Michael Keaton. We don't have Sam Kinison. So, just saying. True. <laughs> just, maybe things um, worked out like that for a reason. This is included in the American Film Institute's 2000 uh, list of the top 100 funniest uh, American movies. So it is considered a comedy yeah. by the American Film Institute. Yeah. A, a, I mean, could it be considered a dark comedy, you know? This is my favorite trivia because it's my favorite show. Oh, God. Show. The community. TV show Community, which started airing uh, uh, over 20 years after the release of Beetlejuice, uh, staged an elaborate but extremely subtle multi-year tribute to the movie because they had mo they had different characters in three different seasons say the word Beetlejuice. The first season, it was Jeff, uh, and I'm going off because I, I remember this. Okay. Jeff Winger's uh, uh, 
teacher girlfriend at the end of the first season is jealous of Britta because he knows she knows that Jeff is still into her. So she says the line, "What is her name again?" Because she's trying to like you know be passive aggressive bitch about it. Yeah, she's like, "Is it Beta Beta Beetlejuice?" Oh my god, and that was the start of it. And over the course of three seasons, uh, one character each season says Beetlejuice until Jeff Winger says it in one of his car in his car outside of the campus, and in the and right behind him, and very briefly, a guy who looks like Beetlejuice walks past the camera in the background. Oh my god! Which I love. <laughs> nerd. Um, Christy Alley was the choice for the role of Barbara, but the producers of Cheers. Uh, wouldn't let her out of her contract to take the role. Wow. Sigourney Weaver, Linda Blair, Goldie <laughs> Hawn, Laura Dern, and Linda Hamilton were also considered for the role. God damn. But Gina Davis was like one I of mean, the first ones to sign up. I wonder if any of these people saw it and were like, fuck no. I mean, you're talking about like, I mean, this... Every person that was just mentioned has played a badass female in a movie. I mean, literally every single one of those actresses. I mean, yeah. it, it's like it's like they had a type, and it was like, okay, let's get a badass female. And it's like, you know, Sigourney Weaver, no. Linda Blair, no. You know, I think Goldie Hawn's the only one that kind of stands out as maybe not like the rest of them. Well, I which mean, is funny because Barbara is, is kind of domesticated. Yeah, <laughs> which is the funniest part about yeah. all of it. This is really, this is the other one that, that I mentioned earlier. Heather Langenkamp, who played uh, Nancy in Night of the uh, oh, yeah. Street, was, was going to be Lydia, but she didn't want to play a goth girl. Wow. I mean, missed <laughs> opportunities, ma'am. Um, I think that could have worked. We're glad it's Winona Ryder, but that's because who that's who we know. And all the, clearly, Winona Ryder was the best choice. However, I feel like that could have worked. Um, this is very out there. Just imagine these names now. Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams, Christopher Lloyd, Jim Carrey, Tim Curry that we just talked about, Jack Nicholson, Bill Murray, which is going back to Scrooge again, Robert De Niro, and John Cleese were all considered to play Beetlejuice before Michael Keaton. Okay, so (laughs) I could potentially see Robin Williams. I could see Christopher Lloyd easily. I can see Tim Curry. Yeah, Tim Curry, yes. Jim Carrey, maybe, but... Jack Nicholson. Now, Which how do we so feel about that? Um, It would have been definitely been darker more than comedic. The one person on here that can ad-lib as well as Michael Keaton did is Bill Murray. Obviously, clearly, yes. Because he ad-libbed all of his lines pretty much in Scrooge. But Bill Murray always sounds the same in all of his films, so he would have been more recognizable, whereas Michael Keaton didn't sound like himself. No, he didn't. No, he changed his voice. I mean, he, he, he pulled a completely different persona, and there are actors in here that can fucking do that, but Bill Murray... Although he he he's creative in terms of making his own fucking script, that's great. But I don't, I wouldn't have liked Bill Murray in this, which is funny because I have a Bill fucking Murray shirt from the Chive, and he it glows in the dark, and it is him as Beetlejuice, which is so funny that <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to wear that one day on the when we no, do video. What do you think about these selections? Do you have any picks from these that you would have? I mean, you think would have been as good? 
No, the only person the Sam Kinison thing really hits just for the fact that yeah. energy he brings. And but a lot of these other guys, like Bill Murray is like a totally different type of I don't know. I I I can't I can't really envision those guys the same way I can envision like if you're talking about a character covered in pounds of makeup, such as Ebert had mentioned, <laughs> then now you're just you're just talking about the voice. And if I'm going to think of the voice, I'm going to think about how Garfield was the voice, or Bill Murray did the voice of Garfield. Now I'm thinking, you know, all you hear now is the voice. Bill, Bill Murray's such a chill character. Yes. And it's just, yeah. I can't I can't envision him. And, what about some of the others, though? Is there John, anyone do you think that could have potentially pulled it off? Other than Sam Kennison, we, we clearly know. The, the other guy's not even, like, I can't. Not even Christopher Lloyd. Robin Robin Williams would have been like the genie, you know, yes. like from Aladdin. He would have been like different voices, yeah, like it, left it, and right. I don't, think it would, I don't think it would have worked. It'd be like, oh, what's this? We're going to over here. I'm a ghost. Look at me. Look at what I can do. Christopher, oh. Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd plays a very good villain in the movies he plays villains in. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to uh, argue as, that. But, I mean, he would have been darker than I think the role would have necessitated. Yeah. It, it's just, and it's hard to really, I don't know, it, it it gets hard to gauge it because Michael Keaton did such a good job. And John Cleese just stands out as the odd one of the bunch. No, I mean, he, like, he has too much of that dry, yeah. that dry, British yeah, humor. British humor. Uh, dry British humor works, but it it doesn't really translate to American movies too much. Um, here's some interesting ones for you that, that also turned down the role of Lydia, Juliette Lewis. I could see it. Um, Lori Laughlin. Mm, no. <laughs> no, I could see Juliette Lewis though. Uh, yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker. No. Oh my God. No. Uh, Brooke Shields. No. Mm, yeah. Uh, well, she's not really so much of an angst person. Not emo doesn't really fit her profile. Justine Bateman is too peppy i couldn't have seen her in that role molly ringwald maybe <laughs> maybe seriously and jennifer connelly jennifer connelly yeah has the angst yeah, yeah she could have done it what was she busy doing fucking labyrinth i'm just kidding i i guess i that, that she was a, like fuck this i want to see uh you know she's a lot uh, of really good movies. she was another one that was in uh requiem for a dream yeah she she played a super dark role in that one. <laughs> she just wanted to see a huge cod piece, is what she wanted to see. Was, you know. I don't think my wife's seen uh, that movie. No, she, you need to watch Labyrinth. Don't tell me what to do. Oh, I've seen Labyrinth. What are you talking about? <laughs> I thought I was talking about Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, he was talking about Requiem oh, okay. for a Dream. I've seen okay. Labyrinth. Okay, there's a similar component inside Requiem for a Dream that's a lot more darker that happens. Uh, Alec Baldwin dislikes this. He's he shot a guy. Remember, um, dislikes <laughs> this film and was very. He hated with this film so much that when the lady brought it up, he shot her in the face. <laughs> exactly, I think that's what caused all of it. She's like, "Hey, wasn't you in Beetlejuice?" And he's like, "Give Fuck me a you. goddamn and gun!" What I fucking tell you? Charles Dietz in the movie mentions having commissioned a talking Marcel Marceau statue, which is ridiculous because Marcel Marceau was a famous mime, mime, and mimes obviously don't talk. So Charles was a fucking idiot, as established in the movie. Uh, Adam's black and white checkered T-shirt is the same worn by Tom Selleck in Three Men and a Baby. (laughs) 
Is that the one where he gets the shirt ripped off and that's what's oh, underneath? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Adam and Barbara are exchanging gifts. Uh, when they're exchanging gifts, the wrapping paper that Barbara takes uh, off of hers has beetles on it. That's interesting. I didn't realize that. Miss Argentina's full sash can be seen with the year 1939. She is the lady who is waiting on them. Who's the, you know, when she's the one that talks to them, you know, that has the line, that's how yeah. they look when they're dead. That's how you look when you're dead. Um, meaning that she had been a receptionist in the netherworld for 49 years before the Maitland showed up. Wow. Originally, Lionel Newman was hired to conduct the score. However, uh, during the first day of recording, he kept making changes to Elfman's written score, and the result was Newman being replaced as conductor by William <laughs> Ross. Uh, Elfman harbored no ill will about it. Oh, okay. I mean, well, he got his way, Winona, so. <laughs> Winona Ryder was cast on based upon her strength of her performance in a movie called Lucas, which I've never seen, but there mm. you go. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm not familiar with that. The football players uh, bothering Juno, this is what we referenced earlier, mm -hmm. uh, it was a reference to the 1970 crash of Southern Airways Flight 932, which took the lives of 37 players of the Marshall University football team. Oh, shit. Along with eight of the coaching staff and 25 boosters. Um, although the Marshall school colors were green and white, the team is wearing red uniforms in the movie, but, yeah. I mean, they couldn't make it exactly like that. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's already in bad taste. I mean, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that would have been, that would have been bad. Uh, when Adam finds the advert for Beetlejuice, he actually says the name three times, but because he pronounces it Bay Till Guys, uh, the incantation doesn't work. Oh, okay. He goes back to, you know, Beetlejuice spelling it that way because he doesn't want people necessarily to know that, okay. you know, how to say his name. Uh, at one point, Tim Burton considered Arnold Schwarzenegger for the role of Beetlejuice. What the uh, fuck, this, dude? I don't, I don't know what the fuck that would even been like. Everybody, he was I, early in his years. Okay, we all know he's an odd guy. We have seen what he's capable of, so we can forgive him for these thoughts that he's had in his head. I wonder if he's just going for name recognition. Yes, that's what it seems like he was going I, that's for. That's what it sounds. I mean, look at the names of the people he tried to get for that role. I, th you're exactly right. I didn't even think about that till now. He literally went for like the biggest stars that he could find for that role. Okay, when you're that creative, okay, and you know that you can make something work, but you have to sell it first because Tim Burton wasn't a brand name yet. So he knew he had to sell this. So he really just had to, he's like, look, I can fucking make this work. I just need to get the people to make this happen. So he's looking for anyone at this point. Now, what do you think is going to happen when Tim Burton goes out and said, I made this role specifically for you. Will you do it? He 90%, 99% of the time he's going to get a fuck. Yeah. He doesn't have to sell shit anymore. What, what, what was Michael yeah. Keaton's response to the movie after it got good acclaim and everything? He, he enjoys the movie. When he saw what the movie turned out to be, he loves it. I mean, he, he thinks it's one of his best, I mean, his best role. I mean, it's funny that Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't take this job because, uh, you know, he literally turned it down because he was filming The Running Man that, based on the Stephen King novel at the time. Wow. And that was an awesome movie. Yeah. Adam and Barbara are inspired by Barbara and Johnny from the opening scene of Night of the Living Dead. Ugh. And Lydia even mentions this because she's like, whoa, you're like totally Night of the Living Dead under there, aren't you? Yeah. You know, in the movie. <laughs> 
Charles screams at uh, Delia and Otho not to touch his new office, and they took him literally because you could still see the Maitland's wedding photo uh, still in the, in the bookcase. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I remember that. They just left random stuff. That's so weird. This movie, the, the weird details in this movie, I'll tell you what. But it's it's the kind of stuff that you don't appreciate until like somebody mentions it. I mean, and you well, go back and you yeah, it's I, just that that goes to show like how much like like I mean underappreciated like the props and like you know depart and the set design you know are in in like any movie production and like we give them no credit, but like they they make parts of the movie that like I mean that you know that your subconscious picks up, but like, you know, that, that adds to the movie. Yeah. I mean, I saw, uh, this is one of the few movies I could think of where I picked random details, but it made me question a lot. Like, why is that in here? But you don't, I liked the details. I liked what I saw. Um, and it didn't, even though it was out of place, it didn't seem like it was out of place. Like it feels like it belongs there. So, <laughs> Yeah, appreciate is not how I would say it, but now that you hear kind of the de- the details, it makes sense. This is an odd thing from the the from the details of the script. Beetlejuice's black and white striped outfit suggests he is a prisoner to the curse that has befallen him, or meaning his uh, where he's trapped in the afterlife. That's kind of cool. Um, and it's also apparently a fairly good attractor for Miley Cyrus. Shut up. Wow. <laughs> Wes Craven was actually the first choice to direct this movie. How do we feel about that? Because that could be so interesting. Uh, can you imagine a reality where Wes Craven directed this and he got Heather Langenkamp to play Lydia? <laughs> I'm not a huge Wes Craven fan. I mean, I like some of his stuff, but not. I'm I'm with you. It's it's hit or miss. Like he he's got his standouts like Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream, but then you got like some of the weirder ones that he did, like Last House on the Left and all that. That are you know they have their place as cult movies, but it's just like I don't really I'm not drawn to them. Yeah. And then he's got that one weird movie I can't remember the title of it. I'm sure somebody's gonna be screaming at me where it's like set on like a Amish or a Mennonite farm and like there's you know like a serial killer on it or something like that. It's just, he, he had some weird movies prior to breaking out and having some of his bigger ones. I like people under the stairs. I mean, I'm not drawn to him or anything, but I don't think he's the worst that's out there. Um, how do you feel about this? Bill Pullman was originally uh, going to be uh, an Alec Baldwin who I shot c- a guy. I could see uh, it. I could role. see that. I could see that easily. Yeah, I could have seen that. I think he would have actually, that would have been the one that would fit the closest of all of them. Yeah, yeah. and he, Bill Pullman has range, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of... He plays like, I don't know, a a cookie-cutter type, you know, domesticated husband. You know who I could have seen actually play Beetlejuice is... um, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Um, He played played in a vampire movie with a couple other people from the 80s. I'm trying to think. The name of the movie is After Dark. Do you remember that one? Bill Paxton. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could have seen Bill Paxton paying. I know. As soon as you start saying vampire movie, the one person that stands out for that movie is Bill Paxton in that role because he's so out there and he's so, like, I mean, he's got the energy and the dark energy that it would take for Beetlejuice. Yeah. Yeah, but it's Adam. There was nothing too dark about Adam. Yeah, well, for Adam, yeah, it wouldn't. I mean, it, there's no. No, but I'm, I'm ta- talking about for Beetlejuice. Yeah. Oh, Beetlejuice. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. I I could actually see Bill Pullman, uh, not Bill Pullman, but um, that Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton B 
being Beetlejuice. Well, there's a movie that we're going to review. Are we still having a, a, a demon season? Yes, yes, frailty. Yes, so that's probably mm-hmm. a film we're going to... And the, and the other thing is, too, is that Bill Paxton, I mean, he has the comedic chops because, I mean, you take his character of Chet from Weird Science. Or Aliens. Um, Think of him in Aliens. He did an awesome... Yeah. Like he, he Even in After Dark, he did a good job as a, a fucked up psycho vampire. Exactly. Uh, Beetle, when Beetlejuice appears on the Ma- to the Maitlands on the TV ad, he's performing in the model cemetery long before it's revealed that he's in the model. Oh, yeah. Creepy. In the first scene, Adam receives a Harry Belafonte cassette in the mail. The Banana Boat song is even briefly heard in the film uh, on in the film after Adam and, and Barbara just died. The same song, you know, obviously plays later during the dinner party scene. But I didn't realize that well, that he got that cassette in the mail at the beginning. Uh, Otho Finlock was named after Otho, a Roman emperor of only three months uh, from January 15th to April 16th, 69 AD. Okay. It feels, it feels like that's useless trivia, but it's funny. It's nice knowing that. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. After ele- at about a m- eleven minutes in, the audience partly uh, see Beetlejuice reading the Afterlife newspaper. In the obituary section, there are pictures of the Maitlands wearing exactly oh, what yeah. they died in, along with the implication that other pictures of the deceased are wearing uh, what they died in as well. Unlike the obituaries uh, in the of the living, it seems like the the ones in the afterworld have a supernatural natural ailment because, like, the Maitlands haven't even crossed over yet to yeah. you know, be photographed or anything like that. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I remember that. That was funny. Seth Graham Smith, who wrote Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and who was, who's worked with Tim Burton on an adaptation of Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter and the big screen revamp of Dark Shadows, is working on a Beetlejuice sequel. Um, so I don't know if he's still writing this now, um, but, I mean, it's if he's the one, if he's still writing that, that could be interesting if it's the one that they're, you know, that Brad Pitt's trying to get, you know, made or whatever at this point. Okay. Have, uh, have you read Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies? I've read it. Like, I mean, it's, it's I thought it was okay. terrible. It just, the movie was it, terrible. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know they made a movie. Yeah, the movie yeah, sucks. They did. The hubby bought me the book, and he buys me really good books. That was one that didn't. Um, that was the only it's, one I could think of that didn't make the cut. It's weird because it's one of those that like literally just adds in zombies yes. and then like direct lines from Pride and Prejudice, and I'm just like, this don't mix. Like you're wanting it to. Somewhere out there, somebody thinks it's a, it's a, it's a cult Masterpiece. classic. Yeah. Lydia's age is never stated, but Winona Ryder was 17 when the movie was filmed, and Barbara refers to Lydia as a little girl, so the character is supposed to be about 13 to 16. Um. And what do you think about these? John Candy, John Goodman, and Bob Hoskins were considered for Otho. Oh, man. I could totally see John John Candy. Candy. So could I. John Goodman would have done well as he would have been a, a close uh, second. John Candy would have been a dead on hit. Well, yes, we yeah. know that. And I mean, it could you imagine if Burton had gotten them on any one of well, I don't, Bob Hoskins is a no for me. Yeah, I don't think Bob Hoskins would have fit, but John Candy, I read that and I'm like, I kind of want that version actually. Oh my god, in a in a in an alternate universe, man. Well, John Candy, he's played a lot of really weird roles. Like, I don't know if you remember the one where he's a detective. I'm trying to think of the name. Who is Harry Cuomo? I think, or yeah, or Harry Crumb. Harry, Harry Crumb. Oh yeah, that's a that's a hell of a funny movie. 
And it, it's interesting that John Candy would like, you know, go on to be, you know, that pivotal scene that we talked about with Catherine O'Hara and Home Alone just a few years later. Yes. <laughs> a lot of lore behind that. I don't think the husband's heard that one yet. In Spain, both the movie and Keaton's character were named as uh, Beetlejuice following the pronunciation. So there you go. Beetlejuice. Yeah. Uh, Burton sought out Anton first to be his production designer, but first had committed to high spirits, which is funny because of the mistype that I gave you the other day. Yes. What did you, what did you text me? And I was like, what? I, I said that we should do with Ghostbusters. We should do a, the B movie should be high spirits. And then I, but what the movie I meant was haunted honeymoon. Oh yeah. I don't know why in my mind I got the two of them, I, you know, whatever, but. Um, it, but, uh, the film high spirits was spiraling out of control. Uh, and so, I mean, you know, uh, but he did end up working with, uh, Burton on Batman, uh, which won him an Academy Award. So there you go. He, uh, he came back around and, and made something out of it. Uh, and it's also funny that Michael Keaton's character has bat wings on his, uh, for ears whenever he's doing the carnival scene thing. And then he turns around, you know, and becomes Batman right after that. I think that was Burton giving like a future nod to the character. Which is funny, yes, because I was thinking not so much about Batman, but I feel like there's something in Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, a lot of what was in Beetlejuice clearly inspired a lot of decor in Nightmare Before Christmas, but there's something specific. I cannot think about that. Those bat wings come to mind for some reason. Uh, when I figure it out, I will... Uh, inform you when it, you know if well, it's there's the hat there's the hat that they make whenever they're it's like a, a bat uh, that's a hat or whatever they make the rhyme out of it or whatever you know in nightmare before christmas i don't know if that's what you're referencing but mm, i thought it was a rat that they turned into a hat in nightmare before christmas oh wait a minute it, it is but there's a bat that they also i mean do something with yeah like, there's, truly, those regardless. wings yeah th that thing i'm like that i remember seeing that nightmare for christmas something similar and clearly jack skellington's head is on the top of it so now this is speculation but i find it interesting uh beetlejuice never speaks his own name it's implied that he can't otherwise he could summon himself wherever he wanted and that might be part of the reason why he uh in the cartoon he gives himself alternate personas like uh uh, Grim Deanna Bones. Bones. <laughs> Uncle BJ and Sherlock Homely. Uncle BJ is not a name that resonates very well <laughs> right now in these times, okay? Really? <laughs> that goes but, along uh, with the whole child bride thing, though, doesn't it? Oh, Uncle my BJ? God. Come here and give Uncle BJ a kiss. <laughs> Charles Dietz is shown reading a magazine called The Living and the Dead. Uh, the interior of the, uh, the book is uh, an issue of Macworld from January 1988. Uh, the original prop was sold on Heritage Auctions for $1,375. Wow. Uh, Beetlejuice momentarily controls Barbara, having her say in his voice, learn to throw your voice for your friends fun at parties, which foreshadows the dinner party scene. Oh, my God. He mentions that he hates sandworms when reading the newspaper. And again, <laughs> when he meets the Maitlands, Barbara manages to land a good punch on the sandworm the first time it attacks her, which uh, could be a hint, uh, you know, toward the end of the movie uh, and why she's able to actually uh, control one of them. Oh, yeah. The she rides one. Sandworms. Yeah. Like I a, hate them. Like a bantha. <laughs> you know, I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, Juno's beeper or alarm sound on her watch is from uh, Chopin's Funeral March. Oh, yes, of Sonata, course. You know. Yes. Dudley Moore was considered for the role of Beetlejuice. I'm what just, the fuck? Yeah. What is with all these people? Cause, uh, Tim, we are judging you right now. <laughs> you know who else was considered? I don't know. Every other fucking Every actor. Every major celebrity in Hollywood at that time, yeah. Holy shit, dude. During the dinner party, Otho mentions he used to be a paranormal researcher in New York oh before the market collapsed. And, <laughs> and he makes a joke that people, you know, about the suicide thing. Which reveals that he has legitimate knowledge of the supernatural, which is why he's able to uh, exercise the Maitlands toward the end of the movie. Yeah, that's true. Okay, because I was kind of wondering where that came from. So yeah, he he's one of the few people that can read the book, and that's probably maybe because he was a paranormal researcher. It is hinted throughout the movie that Lydia could be suffering from depression, which we kind of figure out. I mean, the way she describes herself. Uh, Beetlejuice says, I've seen the exorcist about 167 times and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. I love that line. Uh, Gina Davis later stars Angela Rance, uh, the adult Reagan McNeil in the television adaptation of the exorcist. So that's interesting. Lydia Deeds, she herself is strange and unusual. And we already said that Lydia Blair was, uh, considered for the movie, uh, or Linda Blair. Um, yeah, as Barbara, I don't see that. Yeah, I don't either at all. When Adam and Barbara are sitting next to the model before Jane arrives, they are directly next to the covered bridge on the model. That's kind of creepy in yeah. a way. <laughs> Although Otho and Delia couldn't see it, Barbara hanging on a noose in the closet when she rips her face off foreshadows the scene where they all bust upstairs and Delia threatens to drag them out by the ropes they hang themselves with. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Among the times the number three was used, if you look at Beetlejuice's left wrist as he is tanning on the roof of the Dante's Inferno, you'll see <laughs> he's wearing three watches. Um, it's also uh, in the waiting room, like we said. So there's plenty, and there's also a knock in when they have to knock to get into the afterlife. It's three knocks. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Charles refers to a photo of Adam, saying that he reminds him of Spencer Tracy. Tracy was second billed under Sylvia, uh, Sylvia Sidney, who played Juno in the film Fury. So that was like basically Tim Burton throwing a callback for uh, Sylvia, yeah. who played Juno in the film. Beetlejuice resembles the Batman character villain, the Joker, with a green hair and white skin, which is... Oh, yeah. It's it's interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, he did go and play Batman. <laughs> he played his own and, worst enemy. <laughs> <laughs> In Beetlejuice's forced wedding, Lydia's dress is bright red. According to the old rhyme about wedding dress colors, married in red, better off dead. You know what? Now that you said that, I'm curious how Michael Keaton would have did playing the Joker. Wasn't that a consideration? I, I, I thought that was a consideration. I think, I think I, he could have actually played a good, really good Joker, yeah, honestly. Honestly, thinking about it now. And I, I wonder when what, uh, I mean, a different reality, if he played the Joker opposite of, uh, I wonder what kind of, uh, I mean, I've not looked at Batman to see who was considered for the role otherwise, but it would have been interesting to see how that would have played out. We would be discussing now instead of like, you know, uh, Heath Ledger, or, you know, uh, yeah. or uh, Jack Nicholson, you know, it's like, well, clearly the best Joker was Michael Keaton, you know, that's just, that's weird. Yeah. Um, going back to Lydia's dress, that was a quinceanera dress. That was not a wedding dress. 
uh, during the seed in the graveyard after the Maitlands, uh, Baldwin and Davis leave when Beetlejuice gets mad and kicks the tree. And we already said that was actually like a blooper that they left in the movie. Beetlejuice's name is spoken 15 times in the film, eight from Barbara, two from Juno, and five from Lydia. Adam also says the name a few times, but he mispronounces it. Yep. The epilogue with Beetlejuice and the Witch Doctor was added in post-production, like I said. Um, Let's see. uh, Uh, Also, the number three was mentioned again in the movie. It's uh, when Lydia was missing a sculpture whenever they were moving in. She said, why are there only three? There should have been four. So three sculptures. Oh, there yeah. There you go, another three. Delia is momentarily trapped by a piece of her sculpture uh, when uh, the art collection is moved in the new house, which foreshadows the ending where Beetlejuice uses her own sculpture to trap her. I you do know, really like others. those scenes, actually. that's that was Those stick out to me for some reason. When they all came to life. Yeah, when they came yeah. to life, but so much, but when also when they were moving the sculpture and it just like pins her against the wall and she's she's stuck in it, and like I said, like he said, foreshadowing, it happens in the end, and yes, I really do like that. And this is the final one. Beetlejuice calls himself the most eligible <laughs> bachelor since Valentino came over when convincing Lydia they need to, get to marry, uh, need to get married, and he's referring to Rudy Valentino, the Italian actor of Hollywood cinema in the 20s, who was nicknamed, uh, nicknamed the Latin lover and was considered a heartthrob and died in 26. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she knows what that is. We're talking yeah. about an emo well, goth that is on the verge of her own self-destruction that doesn't have Google. Well, that, I mean, that goes to show, though, that somebody who's getting a child bride, I mean, you know, they're not going to have anything in common with the person that they're that marrying. Is, that I is mean, true. You know. He says you're mature for your age. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we're to it, folks, the ratings. What do you what do you say about this one? Um, let's go with the. I know what my rating is, but let's get let the hubs. He's the guest. Uh, I give it four and a half out of five. Four and a half out of five. Any reasons? Anything to point out? No, it was an awesome movie. It, there's not a lot of flaws for what the movie is. Yeah. It it it, it, it had a goal. It nailed the goal. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Ghost with the Most for our old rating scale because this movie is so fucking entertaining from beginning to end. It's it's one of those movies I don't get tired of it. Uh, I do look forward. I mean, because I don't. You guys know I don't watch movies over and over again. I don't, but I'll watch this one. It's one of our uh, Halloween holiday favorites, and I obviously clearly loved the cartoon. The kids love Beetlejuice. Daughter got into the cartoon now. It's just it just it resonates really well. It's it's got enough weirdness in it and enough comedy for you to kind of write it off. I don't know. It, it, it's five out of five for me. Fresh as fuck. Well, obviously, <laughs> I'm gonna. This is not gonna be seen by anybody who's not watching this. But I, you know, I'm wearing the Beetlejuice shirt. Oh. I got a Halloween horror nights here. Um, oh yeah, that's awesome. That's a cool shirt. <laughs> five out of five for me. I love this movie. Uh, just like Beetlejuice says, it keeps getting funnier every time I see it. <laughs> I find something. Uh, I, I don't. I just. I can rewatch this constantly. And the and the the score, the Tim Burton effects that I really love in the movie. Just everything comes together. And of course, Michael Keaton. You know, yeah. he, he's awesome in it. Yeah, it's definitely um, sold. So, uh, any plugs before we get off here? I mean, not a ton. Hubby's still doing his usual uh, 
you know, um, Blue Collar BS. If you guys want to check them out, that's the network that Death Holler started on. Uh, Hot Mess Express doesn't really have anything hot coming up anytime soon. Because uh, La Arena's busy doing shit, and I don't know when I'm going to get these girls in the studio. Not a whole lot to plug, so really you should just be looking out for all the Death Holler stuff, because we have lots of plans for that. I mean, the next episode we're getting ready to do, I keep getting Hill House, Hal House, Haunted Hill, mix up. What are we doing, Reverend? <laughs> The House on Haunted Hill is the next one. There we go. The old and the new. That will be coming up really soon, so you want to stay tuned. Uh, And if you're listening to this on April Fool's, thank you, because this is when this will be coming out. What the hell? (laughs) I hate you. Oh my God! I'm <laughs> well. On that note, peace be with you and with your spirits. 